right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan. This is another episode of Bill Me, where I find and read the legislation to keep you informed so you don't have to go through the hassle, but you know exactly what your legislators are trying to get through in the House and the Senate. Tonight we're going to be discussing H.R. 3967 and its Senate counterpart. This is more commonly referred to as the Honoring Our Pact Act of 2022. We're going to start with a summary. Essentially, this bill would address health care, presumption of service connection, research, resources, and other matters related to veterans who were exposed to toxic substances during military services. If you weren't aware, this would refer specifically to the burn pits. We had this when we were over in the Middle East, and what happens is when they burn toxic chemicals, those get in to our veterans, and they've caused long-term damage to them. This bill was set to address that. Now, we're having another round of votes on this in the Senate tonight. Actually, as I speak, it starts, if you're watching live, at 7 p.m. And basically uh, what happened is, and we'll get into more details here in a moment, but the Senate effectively broke parliamentary procedure in the way that they rewrote this bill and their amendments. So it's null and void. And some people are complaining that, you know, this, we, we're, we have to redo this vote to make it right. And Law is supposed to be very specific. Law is also supposed to make sure that it's done by the book. It can be very frustrating, but that's why they're doing this again tonight, despite the fact that this did pass the House in July, and it also passed the Senate, I believe, also in July. But we're kind of back, not to square one, but pretty dang close to it. Now, here's some more things that you need to know about this Uh Basically, the Democrats tacked on $400 billion in discretionary funds that would be spent over the next 10 years in unrelated projects. And we'll get into how that works in just a moment here. But I would encourage you to go ahead and check out the actual vote and discussion and see if you're senator. And when it gets back to the House of Representatives, do your representatives vote in the way you would like them to? And remember that we also hold the power to not only call and weigh in on these. You're not going to get them directly, but you'll get the, rep their, the representatives of the representatives. The people that are paid to deal with the people. But voice your pleasure or displeasure with the way that they do things. Now, before we get into this, there's some interesting news surrounding the bills. Then we're going to read the text and we're going to kick off the news surrounding it with this clip right here. To be clear, she's talking about a previous delay, not the one you caused last week. But what do you say to those who find it impossible to believe that of all the multi-trillions of dollars in our federal budget, <clears throat> this is where you and Republicans decided to take a stand? Here's what uh, you need to keep in mind, Jake. First of all, um, this is the oldest trick in Washington. Uh, people take a sympathetic group of Americans, and it could be children with an illness, it could be victims of crime, it could be veterans who've been exposed to toxic chemicals, craft a bill to address their problems, and then sneak in something completely unrelated that they know could never pass on its own, and dare Republicans to do anything about it because they know they'll unleash their allies in the media and maybe a, a pseudo-celebrity to make up false accusations to try to get us to just swallow what shouldn't be there. That's what's happening here, Jake. But, but this, my efforts, this was my in Republican colleagues, let me, let me, last month. Yeah, and we were promised that we'd have an opportunity to offer an amendment to, to change this. And then, of course, that was reneged on. So people hadn't had a chance to be socialized about this. Let me be very clear. 
The Republicans are not opposed to any of the substance of the PACT Act. The honest Repub my honest Democratic colleagues will fully acknowledge that my objection, and if I get my way, I get my change, it will not change by one penny any spending on any veterans program. What I'm trying to do is change a government accounting methodology that is designed to allow our Democratic colleagues to go on an unrelated $400 billion spending spree that has nothing to do with veterans and that won't be in the veterans space. So that's what I'm trying to do. They could have agreed to this a month ago and this bill would sail through at any point in time. Look, we can resolve this with an amendment vote. Right. But some of the Democrats don't even want to have an amendment vote. Well, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says that he is willing to give you a vote on your amendment. And I guess the question I have is, if you get that vote, your, a vote on your amendment, will you agree to vote for cloture, which for our viewers, that's allowing the bill to come to the floor. In other words, we don't expect Senator Toomey will, will vote for this, this bill, but will you vote for, to allow a vote on the bill? Oh, well, let's, let, well, first of all, let's be clear. If my amendment passes and we strip out this completely unrelated provision worth $400 billion, I will vote for the bill. So, so, so that's number one. Um, that, look, Cloture is not blocking the bill. What the cloture vote means, there can be no more amendment votes. I might have some colleagues who have a couple of amendments. We've been allowed no amendment votes on the biggest change to the VA in I don't know how long. So I think we ought to have a few votes. Okay, and so what Senator Pat Toomey, the Republican representative from Pennsylvania, is referring to there when he said pseudo-celebrities, he was talking about John Stewart. Now, John Stewart has been going after the Republicans because they have been opposed to this bill. And what Pat Toomey is explaining here is that the reason that he is specifically opposed to this bill, in fact, he'll vote for this bill if they are allowed to amend this bill to where it is strictly funding the VA in the way that the bill is headlined. And he's saying that the Republicans are being given an unfair coverage. Now, the Democrats, and I've linked this full article in the description below, and if you're watching the podcast or listening to the podcast only version, that will be linked in the description as well. Um, but Dennis McDowell, the Secretary of Veteran Affairs, followed that um, on the State of the Union and explained that the $400 billion fund that the Republicans, such as Toomey, are rejecting to or objecting to is included in the bill to ensure that all the spending for this program, updating for the Veterans Affairs, um, for the veterans exposed to these toxins that all the funding is there that they need. And this is what's really interesting because what Senator Toomey is referring to here is there is a specific way that budgets work. You have discretionary funds, which means we have extra funds that can allow us to cover something in the event that we need it, which is what the Secretary of Veterans Affairs is claiming the funds are for. But then you also have mandatory spending, which means that we have to spend this money. And by switching the language in the bills, what Democrats have effectively done is made it, you would, you would originally think that the $400 billion is just shifted from discretionary to now we must spend it. But what it actually does is it almost rips a hole in the budgets to where the 400 billion still stays for discretionary funds and we're adding 400 billion for mandatory. So the bill would still be funded, but it gives Democrats, as Senator Toomey is pointing out here, the ability for them to have an extra 400 billion dollars that they can then use for pet projects. Now, what would that be? 
We don't know necessarily because they haven't talked about it. But what Toomey is accusing uh, the Democrats of here is effectively trying to sneak in funding for projects that they know would not actually pass if this was to be called for um, on their own. So uh, the interesting thing here is that what the Democrats are being accused of doing here is not necessarily in the bill. And the reason that I say that is because they're going to say they're going to change the wording, but it's not necessarily going to say here, oh, this is discretionary funds so that we have it for our pet projects. So there is a bit of conjecture that we're going to have to bring to the table there. We may disagree. We may not agree on what that comes down to. But let's actually, before we get in, I believe I'm sharing the correct tab here. Yes. Before we go ahead and get into that, I believe I've covered all of the controversy surrounding the bill, which is why we did it tonight. Things are still coming out. We'll see how the voting ends at the end of this. But let's take a look right here. I've linked this as well. This is House Resolution 3967. And then if you follow these tabs here, I've also linked this specifically. If you go to the amendments tab, you have the full list. There's like 50 something amendments and you can follow those links. If you want true transparency, this is a great tool for you to know what's going on with your government. Remember that when something passes the Senate, it has to go to the House. And if there's any discrepancies, amendments or changes, it goes back to the other one. So presumably once the Senate, let's say that they go ahead and pass this resolution in whatever form it is, it then goes back to the House because, and this is why I say we start from almost square one again and why the veterans are in an uproar because they're not getting the Medicare that they need in the meantime, and that seems to be chalked up to the fact that Democrats are effectively holding this bill hostage through some of the amendments that they've done. But you can find the amendments right here. Now, if we go to this tab, let's see if I can pull it up right here. Uh, this, again, is a bit more expansion of your amendments. And then we have right here, I've also linked this. Uh, this is GovTrack, and this is where you can have all of the bills and resolutions says right here we know for this you can do the overview of the bill and i'm under the summary tab right here this bill passed the house on march 3rd and the senate on july 13th however the senate's changes violated the antiquated provisions of the constitution as a result the provisions were moved into s3373 that's the senate bill which i will pull up in just a second here replacing the bill's text in its entirety so it's no longer amendments that get set back set, sent back the house has to completely vote on this as a new bill but it's starting in the Senate instead of the House. So I think one of the major concerns here, we'll probably talk about this later, is who is not getting what they need in the meantime? The veterans, the very people that this bill was set up. Now, you can blame the Republicans for obstructing this and voting against it. You can blame the Democrats for putting additional things into the bill. Blame whoever you want. At the end of the day, it is the veterans, the people, who are ultimately being hurt. So let's skip right over to here. So this is in the House of Representatives. I've linked this bill. And it's 148 pages. And no, we're not going to read it in its entirety. I've linked them so you can do that if you wish. I will be going over some of what I think are the more important aspects instead of reading all the jargon. And I've also linked this. In the Senate of the United States, June 16th, these are the two provisions, so you can read it in its entirety, and then you can come back and comment, you can message us. If you find out things um, that you'd like us to spotlight later, let us know. We'd be happy to discuss uh, with you. But I've linked both of these so that you can find them on your own. So let's go ahead and let's start with the House resolution. This was sent in July 13th. So this says, resolved that the bill from the U.S. Senate... 
Uh, and that would be S3373. If we go back right here, let's see if these match up. This is, and then this would be 3967. So these are the two bills that are supposed to correspond to each other. An act to improve the Iraq and Afghanistan service grant and the Children of the Fallen Heroes grant do pass with the following amendments. And then Section 1, uh, they say short title, references to Title 38, United States Code, Table of Contents. It's getting to, like, you know, what are the specifics of how we're going to do this. References, except as otherwise expressly provided, when in this act, an amendment or repeal is expressed in terms of an amendment to or repeal of a section or other provision, the reference shall be considered to be made to a section or other provision of Title 38. This is outlining the procedures. Now, interestingly enough, what um, Senator uh, Toomey was discussing here is he was saying that the Democrats were not allowing them to make amendments. They were just calling for a vote. Now, the Senate tends to follow parliamentary procedures, which would basically say they have to call for amendments, and then they make amendments, and they vote on the amendments. If the amendments pass, then they're added to the bill, and then that doesn't mean that the bill passes. That means that the amended bill stands now for a vote. Now, what Senator Toomey is trying to do is to basically change the writing of the law so that the Democrats cannot add the discretionary funds to this bill, and it would just come in its purest and truest form of only having funding specifically for the Veterans Affairs. So let's scroll down. We're going to follow. We're going to follow the uh, the House of Representatives version all the way down. Section 401 deals with the treatments of veterans who participated in a cleanup of Enwetake toll as radiation-exposed veterans for purposes of presumption of service connection of certain disabilities by the Department of Veteran Affairs. We've got Section 202, which deals with the treatment of veterans who participated in nuclear response near Palomars, Spain, or Thule, Greenland, as radiation-exposed veterans for purposes of presumption of service connection of certain disabilities by Department of Veteran Affairs. Now, you've got Section 403, 404, and this goes all the way down. Let's see here. Through Section 510, which deals specifically with who is eligible. Then we move on to Title VI, Improvement of Resources and Training Regarding Toxic Exposed Veterans. And what Title VI does is it basically talks about how we're going to change our resources so we more effectively address veterans in the aforementioned clauses and sections that they get the treatment that they need, that we cover them in the way that they need. Now, Title VII deals with resourcing. Section 701, Authority to Use Appropriations to Enhance Claims processing capacity and automation section 702 the authorization of major medical facility leads of department and veteran affairs for fiscal year 2023 and what we're seeing at the beginning here is they're basically outlining how this is going to go down title 8 deals with records and other other matters and we're going to skip down title 1 expansion of healthcare eligibility Subtitle A, Toxic Exposed Veterans. Now, the reason that they're adding this, as I understand it, is because the previous laws and provisions don't actually deal with someone who's got complications or issues or healthcare problems based off of toxic exposed veterans. Now, the argument behind why we need to do this is we sent them over there. They're supposed to be covered by the VA. We don't have that, so they're being turned away and they're left basically out in the cold from our government, not taking care of them. So that's kind of the rationale and why we're seeing this surface now. Now, I'm going to keep skipping down here, um, and we're going to go down. Uh, let's see. Here's your annual reports. It basically outlines the procedure for which um, different 
entities are supposed to come back with a report. And that actually, I think, if you listen to these, you'll probably gather a common theme that I prefer our government to have minimal power and to be maximally accountable to the people. And this, in theory, what it would do is it would basically say, hey, at this specific time, you have to come back and you have to give us a report of what's going on. Now, remember that I said in the summary, and you can also find the summary on the main page linked below, that we're, we're actually trying to, to like launch a study into who's being affected. Why are they being affected? What specifically are they being affected with? And there should be fun specifically going to that. So that's going to be important when I talk later about transparency. I think that that, in its original form, in its purest form, does address that concern. And now we get to subtitle B, certain veterans of combat service and other matters. And what this does, they're making amendments. So, for example, in subparagraph A, it says by striking January 27th, 2003 and inserting September 11th, 2001. That would expand the coverage of our veterans, not just from 2003, but back to 2001. And what happened in 2001? We started uh, with the war in Iraq after obviously September 11, 2001. So they're trying to roll it back to maximally cover these veterans so that we're not turning them away and we're giving our servicemen and women the coverage that in theory they were signing up for, but it seems like they're on technicalities not getting that coverage. And the next chapters there basically outline that. Now Title II gets to toxic exposure presumption process. This title may be cited as such, um, the American Military Act of 2022 or the TEAM Act of 2022. Section 202 under that says improvements to ability of Department of Veterans Affairs to establish presumptions of service connection based on toxic exposure. And then they go on to effectively highlight, well, how are we going to make sure that our veterans actually are aware that they were even exposed to this? Like, can we can we deal with them before they're exhibiting symptoms, before it's too late? And that's effectively what that section deals with. Subsection B here uh, deals with the secretarial duties and what they shall do is consider all public comment received under subparagraph A and also publish in the Federal Register a response to the comments received under subparagraph A. And it's bringing in we the people, which, you know, in theory is going to be great because it allows for more transparency and feedback to the government, which is in theory, again, supposed to be accountable to the people. And we're going to keep scrolling on down here. The working group may conduct an assessment under paragraph one in response to a comment received under paragraph two or subsection three. And that is basically these sections are allowing for a dialogue between the government and the people so that you get a feedback instead of just, you know, if you think about it in workplace terms, we wouldn't just want to go out and say, hey, here's what's going on. This is the way we're going to do it. We'd also want to allow for feedback from the people who are dealing with this on the ground, or in this case, in the field. Now, uh, paragraph 1173 uh, here deals with the formal evaluation of recommendations. So you have recommendations from various things, specifically the secretary, but formal evaluations, the secretary shall establish a process to conduct a formal evaluation with respect to each recommendation made by the working group under section 1172 of this title, and then they outline what are the evidence, the data, the factors, what are they going to consider here? Uh, one of them here, whether such health effects are com combat or deployment related, the ubiquity or rarity of health effects, you know, things that you would be thinking about when we're trying to recommend treatment for our veterans here. And then we scroll down to section 1174, regulations regarding presumptions of service connection based on toxic exposure. And that section effectively outlines, um, well, how are we going to deal with this, you know, once we get that recommendation and it comes back. Keep skipping down here. 
It deals with the scientific determinations concerning diseases, so they're trying to bring in actual medical professionals instead of just saying the V, you know, the limiting, the, they're trying to expand it here. And so they're trying to expand, in effect, the quality and the quantity. So where can veterans get their stuff? Um, I'm looking for the budget allocations here. That's not going to deal with the mandatory versus discretionary funds. But as we get down, I want to say it's closer to page like 50. The, uh, but we'll see here. Uh, but in effect, what it's going to do is it's going to say the specific line item amounts. Section 204, reevaluations of claim for dependency and um, indemnity. That's a new word for me. Uh, compensation involving presumptions of service connection. So what is the connection between them and the harm? Title three, improving the establishment of service connection process for toxic exposed veterans. So they're trying to make sure that that happens. And what they outline here. Um, is on or after August 2nd, 1990, performed active military naval air or space service while assigned to a duty station in, including airspace above, and then things like Iraq, Kuwait, Omar, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, etc. So part of the reason that this is 148 pages is because they have to specifically lay out well, what are the areas? And the way that the law works is if it's not specifically listed, and if you watched our last Bill Me segment, which dealt with the, um, the quote-unquote assault weapons ban, what you would know is that they have to lay out what is in the scope and what is without. And that's what they're doing here. Now, Title Four is the presumptions of service connection. And Section 401, treatment of veterans who participated in cleanup atoll as radiation-exposed veterans for purposes or presumptions of service connection or certain disabilities by Department of Veteran Affairs. Again, what this is doing is effectively outlining who, where, what treatments, etc. So they're kind of asking the who, what, where, when, why questions, and they're looking for specific links, they're looking for explorations, and all that takes money. And so there's a reason that they would need the $400 billion. So when I outline this at the beginning, remember that I am just laying out the controversy. I'm trying to make sure that you have information to all the sides as they defend why they didn't vote for something and why they defend why something or a specific provision needs to be in there. Presumptions of service connection for disease associated with exposure to certain herbicide agents. Again, like we're, we're being very nitty gritty here as they need to be for law. The law has to be specific because generally vagueness in law tends to benefit the people um, who were not affected. Right. So if it, it tends to protect people rather than give them the um, or the, the plaintiff's protection. So, for example, this is why you'll see a lot of times that a case might be thrown out, right? Because ambiguity in the law versus specificity is generally speaking, it should benefit and I should have Angela Artigi on here to double check me here, but my understanding is that it should benefit the people who did not draft the law. However, Congress, if we're speaking in the legal sense, but Congress drafts the law for all of us, right? So what they need to do is it needs to be specific so that the veterans actually get the care and they could say, hey, under this section of this law that was passed, I should be entitled to this care. And if you don't give me that care, now you're in violation. But on the other side of this, even if um, the veterans weren't having to, like, let's say, in theory, sue to get the treatment that they need, whether it be the government or somebody else, like medical professionals, because they don't have the insurance, we also need to be able to say, well, what protections are given to these people under the law? And right now, it seems that they're not going to have the protections that say, yes, if you were breathing in smoke at these burn pits and you have, let's say, lung cancer now, I don't know what the exact um, issues are, and we can link that to the burn pits, we'll give you coverage. That's what they're trying to do here. Versus under the status quo or what's currently happening, we don't necessarily see that being against. Like, All right, well, you know, we would cover this or that, but not because of the burn pits.
on the duty of the enactment of this act for claimants for dependency and indemnity compensation under Chapter 13 of Title 38 United States Code and for veterans whom the Security Veterans Affairs determines are. And then they have these five specifications. They can be determined as terminally ill, homeless, under extreme financial hardships, more than 85 years old, or capable of demonstrating other sufficient cause. On October 1st, 2022, for everyone not described in paragraph one, they're now going to be included in this. All right, so let's keep going here. Uh, effective dates and applicability. In general, the amendment made by subsection B shall take effect on the date of the enactment of this act. So I believe they mentioned, what was it, October 1st? Um, which is coming up. And that's always very interesting because you're dealing with the fiscal nature and, and fiscal, you usually have to get the budget approved and then it's going to go. But again, because of this setback, I'm wondering if they're going to have to actually amend these to be further into the future instead of just October because that's, let's see, we're now in August. So that's only two months from now. That would need to be passed. We need to be signed into law. And then in theory, it could come up. But I'm wondering if there will be protests on the budget issue. Again, we see um, that they're, if they're determined to be terminally ill, homeless, under extreme financial hardship, more than 85 years old, or capable of demonstrating other sufficient cause. Um, oh, this is 2026. Okay, so this is really kicking it out. Um, 2022. Uh, so, yeah, fiscal years have to project into the future. Retroactive application. Notwithstanding any federal court decisions or settlements in effect on the day before the date of the enactment of this act, the Secretary of Veterans Affairs shall award retroactive claims for a condition under the sections that we just went past. And so that's going to, again, be something that's very important because if it's not retroactive, then this would only start in 2026. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out because let's say that this gets passed either with the extra $400 billion or without it. What we're going to see is that the veterans would get their coverage and if it wasn't retroactive, I I'm curious how quickly they'll get that reimbursement because even retroactive, when it comes to like collecting on things from the past, that can be really, really tricky. Okay, section 406, presumption of service connection for certain diseases associated with exposure to burn pits and other toxins. We're now expanding it to that specifically. And then section 1120, presumption of service connection for certain diseases associated with exposure to burn pits and other toxins. So we have presumption here and we have, let's see, so presumption better it's benefits for war fighters exposed to burn pits and other toxins. And then we have presumption of service connection for the purpose of section 1110 of this title. And subject to section 1113 of this title, the disease specified in subsection B becoming manifest in a covered veteran shall be considered to have incurred in or aggravated during active military, naval, air, or space service, notwithstanding that there is no record of evidence of such disease during the period of such service. And here they specify diseases. We have asthma that was diagnosed asked after service of covered veteran or as specified in subsection C. Um, the following types of cancer, including kidney, brain, melanoma, pancreatic, chronic, uh, and then they've also got chronic bronchitis. Excuse me. Uh, so you got a lot of things that they're specifying here. Um, and on the date of this enactment of this act for claimants for dependency and indemnity compensation under title, chapter 13 of title 38, United States code and veterans whom the secretary of veterans affairs determine again. So really you have to fall into these categories and sufficient cause is very interesting because it, I, I think it's designed to be kind of a catch all. Um, we'll see how that actually goes.
Title V, research matters. And what Title V goes into is effectively, well, what are they going to research? What are they going to look for? Who can they contract with? Um, I'm curious to see if universities will also be contracted. Um, let's see. Here we have the definition of covered veterans. Uh, if they served in Iraq, Kuwait, Omar, Qatar, etc. There's quite a few. Um, and then you have like before September 11th, after September 11th. And again, you're going to see a lot of repeating here. So we're going to skip until I can hopefully, hopefully we'll find. Um, and then they say for each veteran included in the study, they have to account for age, sex, race and, eth race and ethnicity, the period and length of service in the armed forces. So these are basically your criteria or criterion, uh, the plural of criteria in fun fact for you. Uh, what they're getting at here is, is, so for example, if I put out a social scientific research study, there are demographic variables that I need to account for. Race, sec sex, ethnicity, etc. are usually things. And then there's things that would, you know, be relevant specific to the study for what they're trying to figure out. And in this case, what they're talking about is going to be, well, where were you located? How long were you there? What was the time period? Because maybe we had burn pits there at one point, and then maybe we didn't. Now, Title VI deals with the improvement of resources and training regarding toxic exposed veterans. So I would assume that going forward, they'll hopefully try to make people more aware and then obviously keep them out of these areas. And that seems to be what this is outlining here. Section 604, training for personnel on the Department of Veterans Affairs with respect to veterans who report toxic exposures. Title VII, resourcing. And this is the authority, I think, I don't want to speak too soon. Uh, but this might be getting into the budget aspects. In general, not later than 180 days after the date of the enactment of this act, the Secretary of Veterans Affairs shall submit to the appropriate congressional committees a plan for the modernization of the information technology systems of the Veterans Benefits Assist uh, Administration. The plan shall cover the first fiscal year that begins after the date of the enactment of this act and the subsequent four fiscal years and shall include each of the following. So please also remember as we get into what the budget is, that is only five years. And identify at least from that section that they're outlining here, an identification of any information system to be modernized. So basically, what do we need? Uh, now, this might also be and it's either going to be they're only funding it for five years or uh, and then they can renew it or that's going to be like the checkpoint where they get the the feedback loop here of what 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 are we needing how is this going so for example under subsection four here automation of claims processing because if you don't know we should have Josh Sanders back on here little Josh he is pretty familiar with how messed up the VA is. Actually, Ken Drew, um, as a veteran himself, would probably be pretty familiar with that. But treatment can be very, very long. And again, this is the trade-off that comes with uh, Medicaid, Medicare, government-subsidized or government-run aspects. They tend to be pretty inefficient. The waits tend to be pretty long. We are now at Section 702, the authorization of major medical facility leases of departments. And yes, this is exactly where the budget aspects were that I was talking about. So, for example, and they list how much it's going to be, which is good. We like to see this. Uh, so, for example, Atlanta, Georgia, an estimate amount of 27 million 134,000 Baltimore Maryland 43 million 41,000 they're going to rack this up into a grand total so between what would be your discretionary funds and then what they think that they'll need right because they're estimating we don't know and obviously the downside is if we underestimate so let's say that they set it up for 400 billion and it came in at 400 billion 600 million well where does that money come from well now the veterans don't have the funding that they need and that is what the secretary of veterans affairs 
Schultz was trying to make the argument for as the justification for why we need this discretionary funding. Although it seems that um, if I had to guess, I would say that that statement doesn't necessarily follow the question. And in the context of a debate, if I make a statement, your response to that needs to address the issue, not state something that is simultaneously true. So, for example, if the accusation here by Senator Toomey is that the $400 billion in discretionary funds being shifted to mandatory spending means that you now have $400 billion in discretionary funds that, well, what are you going to do with that, Democrats? You know, you control the Senate and the House. What are you going to do with this? If the answer from the the secretary here is, well, you need $400 billion in discretionary funds in case we run short, that doesn't necessarily answer that accusation. And here's why I say that that doesn't necessarily answer it. Because it was originally set up as discretionary funds. So why wouldn't we keep it as that? Why would you shift it to mandatory when you know the clause under the laws that you have been writing kicks it so that you've basically doubled your funding here because it doesn't go away? That's why I'm saying it doesn't necessarily answer it. And it'll be very interesting to see how this actually goes through and where that funding actually goes. So, for example, if you didn't know, $40 billion was sent to Ukraine. Um, and then we sent another, I think it was $10 million, And then I think there was another one, but I don't know that for sure. But we've had at least two payments to Ukraine and you would say, oh yeah, well, Ukraine needed it. But attached to that agenda was money specifically for Democrat pet projects, which is why you saw a lot of people on the left, AOC, uh, Ilhan Omar, etc., who traditionally the left is anti-war. They signed on to it. Why did they sign on to it? Well, is it a coincidence that uh, it happens to give them money for pet projects in the form of discretionary funds? Probably not. But again, that's me interjecting my opinion there. So I don't know. Comment below. What what do you think happens with discretionary funds? Take a guess. Let's play a game. Spin the wheel. Who controls Congress and uh, what do they do with the money? Section 704, authority to enter into agreements with academic affiliates and other entities to acquire space. Ah, the question I asked earlier, uh, do we think that we'll see the academic sphere come into this? My home turf, maybe, um, for the purpose of providing healthcare resources to veterans. Because it would depend on where that overlap is, but uh, we'll see. Section 705 deals with modifications to enhanced use, lease authority to Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, let's see here. The lease will not be inconsistent with it, will not adversely affect, number one, the mission of the department, or number two, the operation of facilities, programs, and services of the department in the area of lease property. And the lease will enhance the use of the lease property by directly. So here they're basically outlining why do we need to increase the lease? What can those fundings be used for? So when they do that and they're transparent like that, that's good. We like to see that. I've drawn and given you the tangible example of I run the speech and debate team. I ran it at, at North Dakota State University. Now I run it at Murray State University. When I apply for a budget or when I spend a budget, there are line items. And let's say that my budget for the year is let's just make it a nice round $10,000. I can't just use that for whatever I want and be like, oh yeah, we got pizza every day. And you know, like and I, I was making trips out to this other place for non-tournament related stuff. Like it, it doesn't work that way. You have to spend the money where you allocated it. When I was at North Dakota State, I had to run it by the student government. And uh, what we had to do with that was we had to say, I need this much, or I'm estimating this much for registration fees, this much for judges fees, this much for travel, gas, rental vehicles, this much for housing of myself and the students when we travel. Like you have to guess and it's an estimate. 
but it's still a line item. I can't just say, all right, well, I need more supplies. I want to get a nice big computer for my office so that I can, uh, you know, really judge that stuff for the tournaments. You know, that's, that's then they're going to be, they're going to be like, right, I think you're using that for personal gain there more than you are the actual team. And the concept behind that is we actually need to make sure that the funding is going towards what we say that it is. Okay, so the additional years, um, this is subsection B here, in addition to amounts otherwise available, there is appropriated out of any funds in the treasury and not otherwise appropriated for additional amounts for the medical facilities account of the Department of Veterans Affairs to remain available until expended for major medical facility leases authorized by Section 702 or approved pursuant to chap subchapter 1 of the Chapter 81 of Title 38, United States Code as amended by Section 703, and then it lists these eight things. Number one, $100 million for fiscal year 2024, $200 million for fiscal year 2025, $400 million for fiscal year 2026, $450 million for fiscal year 2027, $600 million for fiscal year 2028, $610 million for fiscal year 2029, $620 million for fiscal year 2023, and $650 million for fiscal year 2031. So there we cover from the fiscal years 2024 to fiscal year 2031. So that's going to be, let's see, three, six, seven, seven, eight years there. Title eight deals with records and other matters. How do they keep track of this? So that's really boring. I'd encourage you to read it if you want, but uh, yeah, they go back and do that on your own time. Let's see. We're going to scroll down health and disability benefits relating to water exposure. Again, outlining specifically how we're going to deal with this. I think we've reached about the end of this bill. If I'm remembering correctly, we go back and that was all of these sections and then they have definitions. Okay. So remember, we read through, oh, wait, no, Title IX, Improvement of Workforce of Department of Veterans Affairs. No later than 18 months after the date of enactment of this act, the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, who would, that would be Dennis McDonough, assuming I'm pronouncing his name correctly, uh, in collaboration with the directors of such community-based outpatient clinic and medical center of the Department of Veterans Affairs, shall develop and implement a national rural recruitment and hiring plan for the Veterans Health Administration to do the following. Number one, recruit healthcare professionals for rural and highly ranked community-based outpatient clinics and rural and highly ranked highly rural medical centers of the department. Number two, determine which clinics or centers have a staffing shortage or of healthcare professionals. Number three, develop best practices and techniques for recruiting healthcare professionals for such clinics and centers. Number four, not less frequently than annually, so they have to do it at least every year, provide virtually based on-demand training to human resources professionals of the Veteran Health Administration on the best practices and techniques developed under paragraph three, and they shall also provide recruitment resources such as pamphlets and marketing materials to those groups of people there, and then they have to provide an annual report. And this is the transparency that we'd be talking about as far as the line items go. And in its original form, at least my understanding is that the 400 billion switch comes in the Senate, not in the House, although I could be mistaken on that. Fact check me below if you found something different. Section 902, authority to buy out service contracts for certain healthcare professionals in exchange for employment at rural, highly rural facilities of Department of Veterans Affairs. My understanding is the way that works is let's say I'm contracted as a doctor, similar to a sports. Um, let's just say like a football player, right? So they get, uh, let's say $15 million over a five-year contract. Well, if you want to terminate that early, 
you'd be penalized, right? Like you have to pay that out. Now you've got a buyout to where, let's say this person wants to transfer, or the team wants to transfer them, then somebody has to buy that out. So it seems like they're going to be doing that for medical professionals as an incentive to get them to more of these rural-based areas. So for example, you come out to the middle of Tennessee and work the Veterans Affairs, probably not quite as desirable or, you know, depending on what you prefer in life. Um, some people like to live in the big city. Some people like to live in more rural. But Typically, people get offered more incentives to live out rural areas than they do in cities because fewer people are interested in going out to those areas. So that's really what this is dealing with. Again, this is going to be where part of your budget goes, although I'm not seeing specific numbers of how much that would be or where it goes. Modification of pay cap for certain employees of Veterans Health Administration. Um, so whatever their pay cap was before, I'm assuming they're raising it here, but let's see if I can skim Pass this here, but a pay adjustment would cause such established special rate supplement to be of a lesser value. The special rate supplement shall be converted to a supplement based on the applicable locally based comparability percentage unless the secretary determines that some other action is appropriate. So whatever they're being paid, if it's being undervalued or we're trying to raise it here, presumably that would be subsidized through the federal government tax dollars there. So interesting to see how that will play out. Okay, so that's going to pretty much wrap up this reading of the bill. Remember, you can do us a huge favor. Help our subscription go up. Uh, hit subscribe if you're watching the live stream. Hit the notifications on both our YouTube portions as well as on our audio only on our podcast platforms, whether it be Spotify or Apple. I think our metrics tell me that most of our listeners come through Apple, which just interesting tidbit about us. Was originally the other way around most of our audience was on spotify so i'd have to check the margins again it's very interesting um, but just like subscribe give us a review um, and that that helps us out a lot all right let's talk about my ratings okay so in its current form with the 400 billion dollar split you know i'm probably i'm going to give it a three i i would say that I personally do not like conglomerate, not you know, opaque ways in which the government shifts around its money, and we'll get into that in the questions that I think we should be asking ourselves. But I do think that if this could go through the way that it's written, it would actually wind up benefiting our veterans who are not getting the care that they need. However, let's think about this. We're going to go back to my debate background when you're passing policy, you need five things. You need your agency, your enforcement, your funding, and your time frame. Um, four things. Sorry, I misspoke. You need four things. Agency, enforcement, funding, time frame. Your agency is going to be who is passing this legislation. So at the end of the day, that's going to be Congress, right? And then you've got your enforcement. Well, who's going to make sure that this happens? You need your funding. Where's that funding coming from? I think we have plenty of funding here. But there's another aspect to that that we need to think about. How is it allocated? And this bill, from what we were reading, at least the money that they were talking about seems to be pretty consistently allocated. Your leases are going to be covered, right? Your pay presumably would be covered. It depends on how what the final text is. But I'll give it a three out of five. I don't think it's the best bill, uh, although I'm pretty critical. Uh, but I don't think that it's not addressing the problem, right? Let's look at the problem here. What, what are we trying to change? The current state of the Veterans Affairs, the VA, and expand that health care. 
think they got a pretty good shot at doing that if they can do it. Now, the media accuracy. I'm going to give the media a three, and the reason is because, like, what I linked there was Axios, and they did provide both sides. They had on... Um, the Republican representative and they had on the Democrat. Well, I, I guess I, I don't know where uh, the secretary aligns, but if I'm not mistaken, I think Biden either points it or um, I, I'm not actually quite sure who does that comment below. Let me let me know how that person's put into power. Um, but because he's defending the bill, he's defending the Democrat side. So whether or not he himself is a Democrat, he, we, we had both sides represented there. Read the full article. Axios is free there and they did provide both sides. I think that that was beneficial check out that link. Um, but I, I think that, you know, in general, when we actually dig, we're seeing some transparency there in the media. Uh, and actually, uh, if I, I'm pretty sure Axios played that clip, I'm pretty sure that was Jake Tapper from CNN, uh, which means that even, you know, the legacy media CNN there is actually at least having them on there. When we're looking at what are the titles of the headlines there, it usually has been focusing, at least what I've seen, majority has been Republicans block, Republicans obstruct veterans bill. And if you just read the title, that's going to be your impression. If you don't unpack the legislation, that's why I give it a three. All right, let's talk about the questions. Always ask yourself, where does the money come from? Let's say that they wind up doing $400 billion in both the discretionary and the mandatory spending. Where does that money come from? Well, generally speaking, that's going to come from us, the taxpayers. I think that it's very easy for us to slip into this mindset of, well, the government is spending money. The government is helping us. But the government is really just taking money through taxes and reallocating it. Sometimes they do a good job. Sometimes they don't. Like, it really depends on your perspective there. And I'm not here to tell you whether this is a good or a bad use of money. But think about where is the money coming from? Let's say, just bear with me through a thought experiment here. Let's say that they get the 800 billion, right? Because we have the, the mandatory that we spend on the veterans affairs, they get the improved health care, etc. But then the Democrats who control the Senate and the House right now also get the funding 400 extra billion dollars in discretionary funds that are not line itemized. They'll use that for whatever pet projects they want. And if we don't already have that in the budget, you get that money one of two ways. You either take it from a different part of the government, which LOL government doesn't tend to remove money they tend to raise taxes that's the other way that we get this money so if you're not in favor of this just think about that where is the money going to come from maybe talk to your senator tell them hey i like what you're doing or hey i don't but it, you know that that's where the money is going to be coming from number two question you should ask yourself where does the money go and to me the transparency is the huge issue here assuming that senator toomey is correct and we've now ripped the hole in a sense to where they get 400 billion dollars in discretionary funds where is it going well right now we wouldn't know so but ask yourself then keep that going down the road um number three should the government have access to 400 and this is like a, a moral ethical uh more like a philosophical question, should the government have access to $400 billion in discretionary funds? Now, one thing that I would like to point out is that the government has like a massive slush fund is what we called it for the Department of Defense, but that was at least allocated to the Department of Defense. This money isn't necessarily earmarked for any of our departments, so you can't even guess, right? If we had a slush fund from the Department of Defense where it was, I think it was like $3.6 trillion or something of just like extra funds that was there, the government could, in theory, move that money around, but they keep it. So it's like, hey, like, you know, like, let's say we go to war with Russia or we go to war with with um, China. 
that would be extra money for the Department of Defense. This is just out there. So, but I, I mean, in general, philosophically, should the government have that much discretionary funding? Because there's not a lot of transparency when they do that. I would also ask yourself, do you trust them with that money? I mean, you're the taxpayer. They're using our money. Is that what you want done with it? Or do you want a little bit more transparency? Depending on how you answer that question, that'll influence the way that you vote. That'll influence the way that you call these senators. Are you calling because you're mad that the Republicans voted against her? Are you calling because you're mad that the Democrats are adding on uh, less transparency to this? Uh, fourth, I would say, how would this unrelated spending affect the economy? Like, we are in an inflationary spiral right now. If you don't like the fact that we're up to, I think it's 12% inflation right now, inflation happens when you have two much money chasing too few goods and if we're just injecting money into the economy or we're just throwing you know like it, it really depends on where they get this this money from do they print it do they tax it like what do they do so it's kind of a situational based response like do you do you want the government when when you're having trouble i know i'm having trouble going to the grocery store and affording the things that used to not be as much before we were hit with 12 percent inflation gas is really expensive even though it's temporarily gone down slightly do you want the government spending you know having 400 billion dollars to spend on some pet project in theory they could send it to ukraine in theory they could put it towards green energy in theory they could put it towards roads in theory they could put it towards veterans affairs but it is discretionary we don't really know what they're going to be doing with it so think about that how is this going to affect the economy and do you care how it does if so all right, well, closing out here with our government watch list, let's talk about government overreach. If they get $400 billion and they're taxing us to get it, in my opinion, that's a government overreach because they're taking more money from us, which is less money in your pocket and my pocket, that's going towards who knows what. And the who knows what is really what bothers me personally about that. But I would say put them on the watch list and say, what is the bright line here? We talked about the bright line last time. What is your definition? What is the clear statement of where this extra $400 billion would go, assuming it's passed and not amended, where discretionary funds by nature are ambiguous and they're notoriously used for projects and kickbacks? The Democrats are the one in control right now. The Democrats are not above giving it to their pet projects. They're not above giving it to people who will vote for them. Republicans, when they're in power, are also not above it. But I say Democrats because that's where we're at right now. It's the Democrats who attach the boondoggle spending ambiguousness to this bill. It's the Democrats who are refusing to allow the vote to be called to make an amendment. They're saying this is as is, even though originally, according to Toomey, we're seeing this is the case. That seems to be the fact of the matter that they're not allowing it to be amended. Do you have a problem with that? I would also put them on the watch list for line items. The original bill that we went through with the House resolution was pretty straightforward. When we get to the Senate bill, it seems that they're adding that on. Go check that out. See what you think of the language there. Let me know. Comment below or message us directly on any of our social medias. But that's, that's really what I would say. Make the government show line items for what they're spending our money on. What do they want to spend it on? What are they spending it on? If I have to do it running a team and you have to do it with your expense account if you have one for your business, why would we allow the government to spend billions of dollars without that? Those are the questions 
I would leave you with. Now, I would ask that uh, if you enjoyed this show, please give us a five-star review. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and Twitch, live streaming Bill Me segments on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central and Thursdays for our discussions also at 7 p.m. Central. Follow at Between the Liars on all of our social medias. We got them all to stay updated. If you enjoy this show, we do appreciate that subscription and also the five-star review. I'll catch you back here next week. Government is for the people, by the people, of the people, not above the people. Hold them accountable. Goodbye for now. <laughs>